Hi, welcome to season three of the ACE Tip Podcast, where we translate science into sense, so you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read lengthy journal articles or reports. I'm Danielle Rudes, your host, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. ACEDIT is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Virginia. For more information, check out jcoinctc.org. Now, let's get started. Prisons and jails in the United States should have a process in place to treat opioid use disorder because it is a serious medical condition. And not only that, but release from prison or jail is the most dangerous time for fatal overdose. Based on the 2016 National Survey on Drug Use and Health, one in four people with an opioid use disorder, or OUD, had contact with some part of the criminal legal system in the preceding year. And as the severity of one's OUD increases, so too does their likelihood of criminal legal involvement. And as people penetrate further into the criminal legal system, the rates of lifetime OUD increase. Even after years of incarceration, people with OUD are still at high risk of opioid relapse and overdose upon reentry. So, all of this is to say we really need to look at what's happening with treatment for opioid use disorders in the criminal legal system. Dr. Christy K. Scott and colleagues did just that. In their 2021 article, The Impact of Opioid Crisis on U.S. State Prison Systems, the research team surveyed 583 prisons in states with significantly higher OUD overdose rates per capita, or a high absolute number of OUD overdose deaths. With nearly 2,000 state prisons and over 3,000 local jails surveying them all is not only untenable, but also not necessary. A stratified sample is a smart approach to ensuring that you get a good representation in your sample that you can confidently generalize to the larger population. After determining the sample, the researchers interviewed individuals with the most knowledge of their state's prison system, including health directors, state commissioners, deputies, and others. During these structured interviews, meaning each interview used the same questions and protocols, the researchers asked participants about their state's MOUD practices during different stages of potential treatment, also called the opioid service cascade. This includes the stages of opioid withdrawal, screening and assessing for an opioid use disorder, availability and access to medications for opioid use disorder, overdose prevention, and lastly, re-entry planning. Before we get into the findings, though, let's talk a little bit more about how Scott and colleagues identified and recruited potential participants. Remember, the goal of this research was to understand how heavily opioid-impacted states address this in prisons. To get at the study's target population, states that have been heavily infected by opioids, Scott and colleagues used stratified sampling. What exactly is a stratified sample, you may be asking? Well, stratified samples draw from a group that's been selected based on a common characteristic rather than drawing from the entire population. To give an example, let's say you're interested in researching the extracurricular activities of high school valedictorians. It wouldn't make sense to randomly select students from different high schools as you're particularly interested in one group, valedictorians. So, you'd first want to group the valedictorians, the stratification, and then 
sample from that group, the sampling. To identify states that fit into their research interest, those most impacted by the opioid epidemic, the researchers looked at states with opioid death rates significantly higher than the national average and those with high numbers of opioid-related deaths. Ultimately, Scott and colleagues ended up with a sample of 23 states that represented 75% of all national opioid deaths. The researchers then identified key contacts from each state to schedule interviews with those who knew about the state's prison protocols and use of MOUD, 21 of which the researchers completed. And what they found is eye-opening. So, starting with the first stage of the service cascade screening, they found that among the 583 prisons, just under half screened for OUD. Nearly all of those who screened used self-report days of opioid use and clinical assessments. About two-thirds used urine analysis, and the same number used and or a standardized instrument. The most common standardized instruments were the Texas Christian University Drug Screen, the Addiction Severity Index, and the Global Appraisal of Individual Needs, all of which you can find with a Google search. As for the next stage, withdrawal management, Scott and colleagues found that less than half of the prisons sampled, 43%, have a protocol for withdrawal management. Medication for withdrawal management is provided in 41% of the 583 prisons, with the most common being benzodiazepines, which are central nervous system depressants used to treat anxiety and sleeping disorders. Just over half of those prisons that provide any medication maintenance for withdrawal use buprenorphine, which is considered, along with methadone, to be the most effective withdrawal maintenance medication. A similar percentage of prisons use other medications like clonidine or gabapentin, which help to alleviate physical withdrawal symptoms like sweating, hot flashes, watery eyes, and restlessness. And finally, 28% of prisons reported using methadone for withdrawal maintenance. Now, let's talk about the findings for the availability of medications for opioid use disorder. Only 7% of the 583 individual prisons across the states provided all three types of medications for opioid use disorder. 39% provided at least one type, which means two-thirds, or 61%, provided no MOUD. The most offered medication was naltrexone, which was available at 36% of the 583 prisons. Then there's a pretty big drop, with only 15% offering buprenorphine and a scant 9% offering methadone. So who gets these medications? Pregnant women receive buprenorphine and methadone in most state systems sampled. Naltrexone is given mostly to individuals at release, and at those few facilities that do offer to provide buprenorphine or methadone, these medications are overwhelmingly reserved for those who come into the prison with a prescription already in hand. Less than a third of state systems offer buprenorphine in inductions at any of their facilities, and just over a third offer methadone inductions at any of their facilities. For the overdose prevention and reentry stage, across the 583 prisons, 27% provide naloxone training to individuals and 25% provide naloxone to individuals upon release. 
The research team also asked about barriers to MOUD. Across all types of MOUD, funding was the most common barrier, including lacking the resources to purchase medications and lacking the funding to hire the staff required to make the medications accessible. Other barriers included regulations, state preferences for abstinence-based approaches, and a lack of community resources. Scott and colleagues' survey lays bare the urgent need for more access to treatment for opioid use disorder, and it also provides powerful insight into how we might get there. By asking those closest to the problem, Scott's team found prisons need help addressing stigma and negative attitudes toward MOUD treatment. The need for additional funds to support the cost of medication, to prevent diversion, to hire clinical staff, to administer and monitor MOUD, to provide transportation to MOUD, and to provide more MOUD in the community. Over two-thirds of respondents indicated a need for general education regarding OUD, addiction, the interface of OUD and the criminal legal system, and the benefits of MOUD. This education should be provided to probation and parole staff, state and local politicians, and other key stakeholders, incarcerated individuals, correctional and clinical and medical staff, the general community, pregnant women, and judges. Prisons also need help establishing systems for OUD screening and training on Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes, or ECHO, and telemedicine. They need information on how best to match the needs of individuals with the appropriate type of MOUD, strategies for arranging MOUD dosing by community providers and switching between different types of MOUD, The ethical and logistical challenges of facilitating successful community linkages remains a top issue for prisons trying to improve their MOUD programs. Given that individuals are often incarcerated in geographic areas far from their communities, the challenge to provide successful linkages were numerous and varied. Nearly all respondents endorsed funding for MOUD post-release and ensuring continuity of care at release was a critical concern for the vast majority, with most respondents endorsing both the need for same-day access to MOUD at reentry and the need to provide MOUD when individuals are released to communities that lack an MOUD provider. Also, the need to help with regulatory, insurance, or managed care limits for post-release continuation of MOUD, including obtaining Medicaid for those being released. The majority also felt that access to employment and sober housing were critical to the success of those returning to their communities. This may seem like a daunting list, but we can each play a role. Think about what small piece of the puzzle you might help with your own work. Are you in a position to provide education to one of the many groups listed? Do you have the ability to start a screening and assessment process in jail or prison? Are you a community-based provider who could work on strengthening reentry processes with local prisons or jails? Improving the state of things will take everything from system-wide changes to small process changes. Let's get to work. That wraps another episode of the Ace It podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also, remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, 
www.jcoinctc.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here and they will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. ACEDIT is part of the NIDA-funded Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. You can find ACEDIT on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, really anywhere that you'd normally find podcasts. Tune in again for more science and more sense with ACEDIT.